Welcome to Treasures Old and New from ART. Hi, I'm Joy Jackson. First up is a lost show from The Mysterious Traveler. It's called Gun for Hire. Keith and his girlfriend want to murder Martha, Keith's wife, for her money. But the plans go awry. American Radio Theater is delighted to present one of the lost episodes from The Mysterious Traveler. This one is called Gun for Hire, directed and produced by Joy Jackson. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Mysterious Travel, written, produced, and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Cope, and starring two of radio's foremost personalities, Ed Wynn and Baby Snooks, in Gun for Hire. This is the Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can, as we follow two men in search of their freedom. One from a wife, the other from a penitentiary. It's a story I call Gun for Hire. Have you ever given thought to the strange workings of fate? A gun misfires and a life is saved. A man arrives at an airport, misses a plane by a few minutes. Hours later, he learns that the plane he missed has crashed and there are no survivors. As I sit here, looking back on the past, I keep thinking of the strange way fate guided me to this moment, this place. I might have escaped all this if it hadn't been for Vicky and that night at her apartment. Hello, darling. How are you? Well, you might at least say you're glad to see me. Look, I brought you something. A bracelet. I already have a half dozen bracelets. I'm not interested in bracelets. Vicky, please don't be angry. Not tonight. Why shouldn't I be? I'm tired of being cooped up in this two-by-four apartment. I want to go out, go places, see people. But Vicky, if we were to go out together, people would see us. That would invite gossip. My wife would be sure to hear about... You and that precious wife of yours. Why don't you stand up to her? Demand a part of all that money she has instead of being just an office boy for her. Vicky, please. I'll get money out of her, but it'll take time. You must be patient. Patient? I've been patient long enough. I'm not spending another summer in this dump. I'm gonna... You don't have to. I have a surprise for you. A surprise? What's that key for? It's the key to a small lodge I've rented for you in the mountains. It's only a half mile from Martha's estate. How cozy. And convenient, too. Keith? Yes? Whenever there's an argument, you put me off with a gift. But this time, it isn't going to work. Now, Vicky, I thought we... No, Keith, it isn't enough. It's time that you and I had an understanding. I'm not getting any younger, and my looks aren't going to last forever. But I've explained to you that... You'll never have a cent. Not as long as your wife lives. 
and being only 37, she isn't likely to die a natural death soon. You must be patient. I've all but persuaded her to turn some of the stock of the corporation over to me. If she does, I'll be independently wealthy. Then you and I will be... Are you really so stupid to think that she'll turn over stock to you? Give you something that'll make you independent of her? I know it sounds unbelievable, but I tell you that... That's enough. I can't wait any longer, Keith. What do you mean? You'll have to choose between Martha and myself. But you know if I leave her, there'll be no money. Not a cent. There would be if she were to die. No. No. You've hinted at that before, Vicky, but I'll have no part of it. All right, then you've made your choice. I'm leaving. Vicky, you can't. You know I couldn't live without you. I'm afraid you'll have to get used to it. Give me a chance. I'll think of something. Along the lines I suggested? Yes, along the lines you suggested. All right, then. I'll give you a week. I'm going up to this lodge you rented for me, and I'll be waiting there to hear from you, Keith. And you know what I'll be waiting to hear. I loved Vicky. I had to have her. But murder. I couldn't commit murder. I couldn't. And yet I knew that Vicky had meant what she'd said. She'd wait no longer. I had to make my decision. Slowly, try as I would not to think of it, a plan began to form in my mind. A plan that would rid me of Martha. That evening, as I entered the library of our townhouse, I found Martha with Paul Richards, her attorney. Good evening, darling. Good evening, Martha. Hello, Paul. I hope I'm not interrupting anything. Not at all, Keith. Martha and I were just going over a few matters. Oh? It has nothing to do with the business, Keith. It, it's a personal matter. A pleasant one, I might add. Well, I've got to be running along. Good night. Good night, Paul. Good night. I'll take care of everything tomorrow, Martha. Yes, do that. There seems to be a great deal of mystery in the air. <laughs> Never you mind. Would you like a drink, darling? No, not just now. Martha. Yes? What do you say if you and I go up to your mountain estate this weekend? But, Keith, the house is closed. I'd have to send the servants up first to prepare it. It wouldn't possibly be ready this weekend. Really, Martha, we can manage by ourselves. I thought it'd be rather nice. Just the two of us. Oh, it would be. It would be. We seem to see so little of each other these days. Lately, I've had the feeling that we've been drifting apart. That you... Nonsense. It's just that I've been paying too much attention to the running of your business and not enough to you. Oh, Keith. What do you say? Shall we go up to the mountains this weekend? Just the two of us? Oh, yes, Keith. It'll be just like old times. Vicki, this is Keith. How are you, darling? How do you like the lodge? I'm bored. There isn't a soul within miles. Why I ever allowed you to persuade me to come up to this place is... Vicki, listen to me. That matter we discussed the other day, it's being taken care of. When? This weekend. Friday night, to be exact. 
Where? Up here? At our mountain place? Yes. I walked over there yesterday. That's quite an estate she has. Yes. I'll be in touch with you when everything's taken care of. All right, darling. I'll be waiting to hear from you. Is that you, Keith? Yes, Martha. I'm so glad. All our things are packed for the weekend. I'll have one of the servants load everything into the car, and we'll be on our way. Unfortunately, darling, I won't be able to go with you. You'll have to drive up alone. I'll come up in my own car early this evening. But why? Something's come up. A business matter. Can't you put it off? I'd like to, but it's impossible. Why don't you drive up to the mountain and I'll follow in a few hours? But, Keith, I don't want to go without you. I'll wait until you're ready to leave. There's no point to your waiting. If you were to leave now, you'd be at the lodge by 4 o'clock. You could unpack, get supper ready, and I'd be along about 8 o'clock. I suppose that is the sensible thing to do. Of course. Now I'll ring for one of the servants and have your car loaded. Yes, it was all working out according to plan. Martha's car was loaded with our luggage, and in a few minutes she was on her way to her estate in the mountains, 120 miles away. I returned to my office and waited for the appointment I had contrived to have at 4 o'clock that afternoon. The police would eventually have to be satisfied on every point, and this was a point to be covered. The business appointment lasted 40 minutes, and by 5 o'clock I was on my way to the mountains. By 8 o'clock the sky was completely darkened by storm clouds, and a few minutes later the storm broke. I turned on the radio. Search for the missing plane still goes on, though little hope is held that any of the crew members survived. Here's a late-minute report on escaped killer Bill Pelton. Pelton, who broke out of the state penitentiary this morning, killing one prison guard and wounding a second, was seen an hour ago driving a stolen car east on Highway 11. State police believe that Pelton will seek to avoid capture by fleeing through the mountains in the severe storm that has broken out during the past hour and has temporarily stalled the statewide search for Pelton. The next news broadcast will be brought to you at... I turned off the radio and slowed the car down to a stop. For just a hundred yards ahead was the estate and the house. I got out of the car and started walking towards the house using the woods for cover. As I approached, I could see lights on in the kitchen and the living room. I slipped into the garage unseen and slid underneath Martha's car. It took but a moment to loosen the hydraulic cups of the brakes, and then it was done. I left the garage as quietly as I had entered, walked to my car down the road, turned around, and drove the half mile to the lodge I had rented for Vicky. Who is it? It's me, Vicky. Keith. Come in, Keith, quickly. What a night. Keith, did you do it? Is it over? I did it, but it isn't over. Not yet. I don't understand. Darling, it's perfect. The whole thing will look like an accident. The police will never suspect a thing. Keith, what'd you do? Tell me. I've just come from the estate. I slipped into the garage and loosened the hydraulic cups on Martha's car. What for? In about an hour, Martha will receive a phone call from me. I'll be in the general store in the village. I'll tell Martha my car has broken down and she'll have to come to the village and pick me up. Then what? Martha starts driving down through the mountains to the village. As a result of my visit to the garage, she'll be without brakes. She won't have a chance. 
And that's a way you meant to get rid of her? Yes, it'll look to the police like an accident, pure and simple. But what if the brakes hold up? What if she manages to stop the car? Then what? I tell you, the odds are all against her. Yeah, but you can't be sure, and I want to be sure. Keith, you got to go to the estate and do it yourself. No, that's insane. Why, I'd be the first one the police would suspect. But you wouldn't, Keith, you wouldn't. Did you hear the radio this evening? The radio? Yeah, there was a news bulletin that Bill Pelton, the killer who escaped from the penitentiary, has fled to these mountains. Don't you see? You can kill Martha and make it look as if it were Pelton who had done it. What? Yeah, chances are he'll never be taken alive, and the police will never suspect that anyone other than Pelton killed her. No. No. But why? This way we're sure she dies, and we can use Pelton as the fall guy. Yes, but you're asking me to go there and and murder her. I couldn't do that. I couldn't. Why not? You didn't hesitate to tamper with the brakes of her car. But, but that was different. I didn't have to be there when she died. But this way, no, Vicky, I couldn't. You have to. There'll never be another chance like this. No. No. Keith, think of what it will mean to us. All those millions. No more hiding from people. We can go any place, spend all the money we want. It's no use, Vicky. I couldn't kill her in cold blood. I couldn't. What are you doing? Why are you putting on your coat? I'm taking my car and going back to town. You and me are through. Vicky, listen to me. You've got to give me a chance. You can't leave. Won't you just wait until... Nah, I'm through waiting. Goodbye, Keith. And don't bother phoning me when you get to town. Vicky! She's gone. Left me. She can't do this to me. She can't. Who is that who just left? What? Who are you? I've got the gun, pal. I'll ask the questions. As I came in the back way, I heard someone going out the front. Who was it? A, a friend of mine, driving back to town. You must be... That's right. Have any cops been up here? No, not yet. That car out front, yours? Yes. I'm taking it. I need some food, too. Just so you don't get any ideas... I'm going to have to rip out your phone. Wait, Pelton. Yeah? Uh, how do you propose to get away? You haven't much chance, not with the police blocking all the roads. You'll need help. What are you getting at? I'd be willing to help you, if you help me in turn. What's your angle? A half mile from here, alone in a big house, is my wife. Yeah? I wants you to kill her. Just like that, huh? You haven't anything to lose. You killed a guard this morning. If they catch you... And if I did you a favor and knocked off your wife, what would you do for me? I'd help you get out of the country. Yeah? Yes. My wife is Martha Wainwright. You've heard of the Wainwright Steamship Company? I've heard of them. Once she was dead, the company would be mine. I could get you on one of the freighters. And just how would I get to the city, pal? As you said, the cops are throwing roadblocks all over the place. It's 20 miles from here to the river. You could steal a small motorboat, go down the river under darkness and this storm. 
You can cover the hundred miles to the city before dawn. Not bad. Not bad at all. The cops won't be looking for me on the river. And once I reach the city, I've got friends who would hide me out for a while. I could have you on a ship within a week. It wouldn't be smart to double-cross me, pal. Those friends I spoke of, they wouldn't like it. Why should I double-cross you? You're doing something for me. We're in this together. Okay, I'll play along with you. You say your wife's place is half a mile from here, and she's alone? Yes. There are two ways of getting there. The road outside runs right past the estate, and then there's also a small path through the woods. I'm taking the car and driving over to her place. Shouldn't take me more than a minute to take care of her. Then I'll keep going. You must leave something near the body that will make the police know you did it. Don't worry, pal. I'll leave this prison handkerchief behind. They'll identify it all right. How do I get in touch with you in the city? Phone me at the offices of Wainwright Steamship Company. My name is Harlow. Keith Harlow. When I phone you, I'll be using the name Werby. Werby. I'll remember that. I'll be seeing you, pal. You can count on me to take care of my end. And you'd better take care of yours. So long, pal. Later, I heard the motor of my car started and then Pelton was gone, down the road to the estate. As I sank into a chair and watched the clock on the wall, in my mind I could see it all. Pelton by this time would have driven the half mile. He would be parking the car in a grove of trees that would screen him from the lodge. By now he would be making his way unseen to the house, forcing a door or a window. It would take him but seconds to find Martha, and then... I rose from the chair I'd been sitting in, certain that Martha was now dead. There was a tremendous stroke of lightning, and the lights in the lodge went out. As I groped around in the darkness looking for my cigarette lighter, the front door opened, and a gust of wind swept through the room. Vicky? Vicky, is that you? Answer me. Yes. I knew you wouldn't leave me, Vicky. We've been together too long now to be separated. Vicky, do you have your cigarette lighter? No. I seem to have misplaced mine, and I can't find it. It's so dark here. Darling, there isn't a thing to worry about. By this time, Martha is dead. What? Yes. Just after you left, 20 minutes ago, Bill Pelton walked into this very room. I struck a deal with him. A deal? Yes. He agreed to get rid of Martha if I, in turn, helped him to get out of the country. He left ten minutes ago, so by this time, he must have... The lights may be out, but the phone still seems to be working. Where is that phone? Ah, here it is. Hello? Hiya, pal. You know who this is? Why, yes. Yes. I've carried out my part of the deal. I'm just leaving. I see. Fine, fine. I'll be waiting to hear from you. You will. Don't worry. So long. Vicky, that was Pelton. He's done it. Done it? Killed Martha. It's all over. Vicky, do you hear me? We're rich. Everything's mine now. And look, the lights are flickering. Going on. They've got the electricity back on. Darling, I... 
Martha. Yes, Martha. You in the darkness, not Vicky. Yes. You'd better sit down, Key. It must be a great shock to see someone whom you thought dead alive. You, you bought Pelton off, didn't you? No, I didn't buy Pelton off. I've never met him. Then he lied to me on the phone just now. He never did mean to. Kill me? How did you know I was here? Half an hour ago, I saw someone slip out of our garage. I couldn't make out who it was in the darkness. Then there was a stroke of lightning. And you saw me? Yes. You got in your car and drove this way. I knew this was the only place you could be going to. I started to get my car out of the garage to follow, but the brakes failed. I suppose I owe that to you. Yes? I left the car in the garage and took the path through the woods to this place. Well, what are you going to do? Do? Nothing, Keith. I suppose I should have realized it was all over years ago, but I still kept hoping that you loved me, that things would be as they once were. I was even foolish enough to think that I could buy your love. Buy my love? Yes, Keith. Tomorrow's your birthday. And as a gift, I was going to give you one-third interest in the Wainwright Steamship Company. Uh, one-third interest? Yes. Which only goes to show how stupid a woman in love can be. Apparently you have a visitor, Keith. I think I'd better leave. No, Martha, wait. Please. Vicky! Yeah, Vicky. Surprised, Keith? You've come back. Yeah, I've come back. I suppose that's Martha. Yes. Vicky, you're so pale. Are you all right? You should know. What do you mean? So you were a man who couldn't commit murder, huh? <laughs> and I fell for it. I was going to do your dirty work for you. Do my dirty work? Yeah, when I left here. I went to your wife's place. Do you know what I was going to do, Keith? One guess. She wasn't there. I searched the house. Then I thought I heard her come in. I went back downstairs. And there was a shot. I was it. No, Vicky, no. You didn't have the guts to murder her, did you, Keith? But you shot me all right. You wanted all the money for yourself, didn't you? Vicky, I didn't shoot you. You must believe me. It was all a mistake. Your only mistake was in leaving before you made sure I was dead. Vicky, you must listen to me. Let me explain. I'm afraid I haven't time. Number, please? Operator. My name is Barton. Vicky Barton. Yes? Vicky, what are you doing? Operator, I've just been shot by Keith Harlow. Remember that? Shot by Keith Harlow. Give me that phone. You're gonna die for my murder, Keith. It's no use looking at Mrs. Harlow. I don't think she's gonna help you. In fact, I feel sure she isn't. Uh... Vicky! Let me feel her pulse. She's dead, Keith. Martha, you know I didn't kill her. It was Bill Pelton who did it. Yes. He mistook your girlfriend for me.
but, 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 but you can explain to the police. Provide an alibi for me. All you have to do is tell them is that she came here and said Bill Pelton shot her. You're forgetting the operator. That's the operator ringing now. We can always say the operator misunderstood what Vicky told her. Vicky was in such pain at the end that the operator probably isn't even sure what she heard. You may be right. Then you'll help me. Give me an alibi. You know I'm innocent. Are you, Keith? Of course I am. If only that phone would stop ringing. Martha, wait. Where are you going? I'm going back to my house. But you can't. You're my alibi. I'm afraid you're mistaken, Keith. When the police arrive here and find the body, you'll be on your own, Keith. Martha, you can't walk out on me. You can't. They'll send me to the chair unless you give me an alibi. Yes, I know. Too bad, Keith. No, I won't let you go. Get out of my way, Keith. I'm leaving. No, no. You've got to stay here. Be here when the police arrive. I'm leaving. No, I'll kill you before I'll let you leave. I'll kill you. You're going to the chair, Keith, for that woman's murder. Do you hear, Keith? You're going to the chair for that woman's murder. In a few more minutes, they'll be coming for me. But Martha was wrong. I'm not going to the chair for Vicky's murder. Bill Pelton confessed to that after he'd been shot down by the police and was dying. No, I'm not going to the chair for Vicky's death. I'm going to the chair for Martha's murder. Martha, who wouldn't give me an alibi, had died at my hands. Sometimes I wonder if she intended it to end like that. Well, here comes the warden. Maybe where I'm going, I'll find out. This is the mysterious traveler again. Did you enjoy our trip? Too bad about Keith Harlow, wasn't it? Such an enterprising young man, but unfortunately fate seemed to be driving him on to a destiny he couldn't avoid. If only he'd been patient and waited, his wife's intended gift would have made him a wealthy man. That reminds me of next week's story. It's about an average citizen without an enemy in the world and suddenly discovers that death is closing in on them. Oh, you have to get off here. I'm sorry, but I'm sure we'll meet again. I take this same train every week at this time. You have just heard The Mysterious Traveler, with Maurice Tarplin in the title role. In the cast were J.P. Patches, Brakeman Bill, Captain Puget, and Stan Borison. Original music was composed and played by Al Finelli. All characters in our story were fictitious, and any resemblance to the names of actual persons was purely coincidental. Wanda Wanda speaking, this is the world's largest network, serving more than 500 stations, the mutual broadcasting system. You've been listening to American Radio Theater's presentation of a lost episode from The Mysterious Traveler. It was called Gun for Hire, written by Robert A. Arthur and David Kogan. It was directed and produced by Joy Jackson and the American Radio Theater. 
was originally broadcast on July 25, 1950. In our cast, you heard Kim Turner as the mysterious traveler, Dave Lees as Keith Harlow, Beth Shlansky as Martha, Holly Chapman as Vicky, Greg Porter as Pelton, Chuck Royalty as Paul, Dan Schindler as the network announcer, Mary Morkampang as the phone operator, sound effects by Marilyn Wilt, music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com, production assistance by Ron Ailey, I'm your announcer, Pat McNeely, and this is ART, American Radio Theater. Hey, let's listen to some music from the days of old-time radio. And in this case, it's Jubilee! The jive's on the wing, the morning's at three, all's reet with the world, it's Jubilee! Well, men, Jubilee's scat scouts have been casing the town this past set of seven, and as a result, the joint is flooded with Fahrenheit. So synchronize your heat to the beat of Charlie Barnett and his orchestra. Rose Murphy's here to aggravate the 88s and dish out the Chi-Chi. Sam Deacon McDaniels will noodle some cadenzas out of his trilly throat. Our special guest, the Eddie Haywood Sextet, will bounce some tacits off your APO. And here to give you a beat-by-beat account of the sesh is your master of ceremonies, the Joe with the underslung duffel, Ernie Bubbles Whitman. Joint is ready to jump like a kangaroo with hot foot. The temperature is right and the ceiling is beamy. Who will let the melody maestro take you for a ride out of this cosmos? And I do mean Charlie Barnett! <laughs> well, well, Charlie, are you feeling groovy? Say, if I felt any more groovy, Ernie, I'd be in a rut. <laughs> How about you? Are you feeling solid? Well, if I felt any more solid, I'd still have to pull myself together, but it'd be flabby. What's the first cat out of the bag, Charlie? Well, this is a little number called Obbly Ebop is the thing. It features Peanuts Holland on the voice and the trumpet. That I must hear. Kick it off, Jackson. Obbly Ebop is the thing. Obbly Ebop will make you spring. Obbly Ebop the cat draw sing. Obbly e bop, the simple rhythm. Obbly e bop begins the lift. Obbly e bop, here's the rhythm. Obbly e bop, obbly e bop. Now, if you like this funny little tune, just dig this refrain, babe. Cause I know when you dig it, it will drive you insane. Obbly e bop is all about. Obbly e bop to make you shout. Obbly e bop, swing it out. Obbly e bop, obbly e bop.
believe that is the thing. I believe that to make you sway. I believe that to get the thing. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that to simple rhythm. I believe that to give the lift. I believe that gives the rhythm. I believe that. I believe that. Yes, you heard it, you heard it. That was Charlie Barnett combo with Peanut Holland singing from the lip. Next on our steam room concerto is a sextet from Madness. And brother, when better jam is spread, pass the bread. So if you want to be shocked loose from your caboose, Glam on us a mellow food from six cities with a cosmic touch, the Eddie Hayward Combo. It don't talk about me.
If that didn't spin me like a supercharger balance wheel, if that didn't pop the old man's gasket and bust the eggs in grandma's basket. Now, listen, folks. You haven't been around until you met the Chi-Chi girl. She plays the piano, sings, and, well, that's as far as she'll go with me. <laughs> but here she is, the California Nightingale, Rose Murphy. <laughs> All right, stand up to the microphone, Rose. It won't grab you. Oh, is that nice, Rosie? Just, uh, what do you think I am? <laughs> well, in Australia, they might call you a kangaroo. A kangaroo? What's that? I woke up a couch. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, Rose, before we go any further, can you give me the literal translation of Chi Chi? Yes, but first give me the literal translation of Little. Oh, that tells it. Rose Murphy will now sing, I can't give you anything but love, baby. the first time I've been lifted without an automobile jack. <laughs> We're back again now to stop with the Barnett Temple. The boys are going to blow some lowly spots and specs your way. When they drooled out these tasting numbers, 
You've got to count the cadence in re- rhythm. It's Cherokee! <laughs> Mother, because I've just been sent too far. <laughs> Maybe you think we're going to stash the hot and dig the cool. 
Well, you're buzzing with the wrong code, Buster, because the Eddie Hayward sex set is back in the box and ready to make for the sassafras. On the count of four, it's begin to begin. <laughs>
I guess we're all tossing and frothing and frying the dollar down the memory groove. You remember the sensational Bert Williams style? If it bangs you, then you ought to dig the gentleman who's going to holler at you now. This citizen has delivered like the U.S. mail. He rings the bell. So step up and give him some skin. It's Sam Deacon McDaniel. Oh, Samuel. What's the surprise package for tonight? It's an old tune called Somebody Else, Not Me. Somebody Else, Not Me. Where'd you learn to sing like you do, Sam? My mother taught me how when I was four. Your mother taught you to sing at four? Oh, that's nothing. By the time I was five, she had taught me to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, if I could do it like you do it, I'd never shut up. Toss it to us lightly. Somebody else, not me. Carry on, Professor. Carry on. Great moments comes to every man. Some situation that is where he can attain such fame that folks acclaim the very mention of his name. Now the circus played our town one day. Three of those Bengal tigers got away. And the manager looked right straight at me, says he, son of the yazzer. Yeah, is your opportunity, I says, ha, ha. Somebody's got to go and uh, get them cats. I say, you right there. <laughs> Somebody's got to go, yes, sir. Now the tiger man, he was sick in bed. Now, all you got to do is run along and get your hat and coat, that is, so he said. <laughs> the man that catches those uh, kittens alive. A real hero's wannabe, I says, do tell, has it? It was a wonderful chance, that is, for somebody, has it? But it had to be somebody else, not me, no, <laughs> Two ivory bones with ebony dots. Off times leads to cemetery lots. Now, there's a game last night that brought on a fight, and it ended up with the pistol shots. Me, I was the further that is from the dome. Naturally, everybody else got out before. And a body on the floor lay dead. Over the transom, somebody had the nerve, and they said, uh-oh, somebody's got to stay behind. I said, uh-huh, what's that for? That's so when the officers doth lie, Somebody's got to be there to explain how come that body ain't standing up and alive. <laughs> yes, that's the Now, the man that stays and does see it through, oh, boy, he gonna gain a lot of newspaper notoriety. Yes, sir. T'was a wonderful chance, that is, uh, for somebody. But it had to be somebody else. No! Naturally, you had our ears in your pocket with that one, Samuel. <laughs> well, the neon, the hour is neon, the channel is rocking, the paint is peeling, the plaster is cracking. Hot Hot Hall can stand just one more satisfaction spot. It's a Duke Ellington number in the Charlie Barnett groove, and the title is Cottontail. <laughs> Thank you. 
accentuate the finale. But before we dim the glims and wrap our taps, here's a note for your bulletin board. We'll be back again soon to dig it with more of the same. And until then, this is Ernie, 10 by 10 Whitman, saying from the bottom of my big fat heart, so long and good luck. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service. That's all I've got time for today. Please check out ART's website, AmericanRadioTheater.org, for more of our podcasts. You know, we put up a new one every month. Hey, see you next time. Adios!